You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to week three of Live Your Calling. What on earth am I here for? And we're going to be discovering our purpose today. God's got five different purposes for your life. If you're uh, wondering what those are, there are some banners on either side of me up here. And last week we looked at how you and I are called to be loved, that you and I are loved by God, the first calling on our life is simply let God love you. And what a great reassurance that is because so often we think we have to perform for God's love, but he just simply wants us to let him love you. And so we can just embrace that in a neat way. Today we're going to look at the second of those two callings. And so if you'll take your outline out of your program, grab a pen from the seat back in front of you or, uh, and get ready to go, we're going to start off by saying the memory verse that we memorized this week, but Some of you may not have memorized it, so we'll put it up on the screen as well. And so will you read this out loud with me? This comes from Romans 6.13, and it's the B, which means it's the second half of the verse. Let's read this together. Give yourselves completely to God since you've been given a new life. And here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. You've just worshiped God in song. You're going to worship God now as we look at his word. But here's what I want you to do. Would you maybe apply that verse. Would you give yourself completely to God? Would you just take a moment and say, God, I just want to give myself to you to learn what you would have for me to learn today. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, just ask God, God, teach me what you want. I give myself completely to you today. God, that's our prayer, that your Holy Spirit would instruct us that you would bond us. God, we love you in such a great way, and we thank you for the great love that you just lavish on us. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Awesome. Well, this week is our second calling. The second calling, of course, first week is called to be loved. The second week, we're looking at that you are called to belong, that you're really called to belong to the Lord. You're called to belong to the Lord's family. The second purpose of my life is that God formed me for his family. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but God formed me for his family. That's your first fill in the blank. That that God, one of the things he did when he made you, he didn't just make you to be loved, but he made you to be a part of his family. That he made you to belong to his family. In Ephesians, and we're going to look at a number of New Testament scriptures here today. The majority of them are the Apostle Paul as he is writing to uh, different churches that he had firsthand involvement with. Like he helped launch them. He helped train the pastor. And so he's writing these scriptures out to these different churches. And one of them is in Ephesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 5 it says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. The word sonship there, again, doesn't uh, just mean that you're a son and not a daughter. What it means is that as a son or daughter of the Most High God, you have the full legal rights of adoption that would have been carried under the Roman legal system in that day. A person hearing that, these words from Paul would say, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm a woman or I'm, I'm a man and, and because God adopted me, he predestined me according to his pleasure and will, he adopted me into his family, I've got full rights. As a son or daughter of the Most High God, that's mind-blowing because that was a very restrictive culture. But that they would have full legal adoptive as you were a blood relative. God saying, listen, when you were adopted into my family, you have the full rights as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And God's family is called his church. You say, well, what is God's family? It's called his church. 
that Jesus, when he came and chose his disciples, and then he was crucified, dead and buried, raised to new life, and then ascended to heaven, he launched out his disciples to begin the church This movement called the church, and the church is made up of the body of believers who believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them. And God's family is called his church. He writes to Timothy, Paul does, and says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So God's family is called his church. That's what he wants. He's calling you not just to himself to be a believer, which is a cognitive thought, but he's calling you to be a belonger, which is a relational aspect, that he's calling you to be a part of his family, the church. And third, I'm called to belong to that church. I'm called to belong to Christ's church. He writes again in Ephesians, Paul does, when he says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. He's saying, listen, before you were foreigners, before you were on the outside, but I've called you into my family, I've called you into my body, the church. And it's a beautiful picture because the longing for belonging is universal. We all want to belong. We try to belong to clubs. We try to belong to memberships. We try to belong to groups of people. We want to be accepted. We gravitate toward what accepts us. And so we have this longing for belonging. And Paul writes to the Romans when he says, And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus was a Jewish person, but he's saying, And you're not of the Jewish uh, race, but you are called to belong through Jesus Christ to the church. You're called to God's forever family. The word ecclesia in scripture is the word for the church and it means called out ones. It doesn't just mean called out from the world like, hey, don't be like the world and God's saying, just believe in me. He's saying, I'm calling you out so that you belong to me. You formerly belonged to the world. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but I've called you out from that and I've called you to belong to my family, the church. Church isn't an event. Church is not a building. Uh, It's a group that I belong to. It's relational. It's a connection. It's an association. It's a covenant of unity that you're there to support and love and care for one another. So today I want to talk with you about the benefits of belonging. What does it look like to belong? God's called you to be loved. He's called you to belong. And what does that look like? There are five benefits. And in Scripture, God uses five different metaphors to describe the church. So he's saying, I want you to understand the church is like this, or the church is like that. And he's going to give five different metaphors that we're going to unpack today. And the first of them is that God's church is a family. First metaphor of the church is that it's a family. And he's going to give us five. He's going to talk about a family, a temple, a body, a flock, and a garden. And God doesn't want his children to be orphans. God doesn't want his children to be street kids. God doesn't want his children to be independent and not need relationship and to say, I'm out, I'm out, I'm not a part of a family. God doesn't want his children to be people who believe cognitively but don't belong to a local body. Well, I just go out in nature and I worship God by myself. You're a disconnected piece from the church. God's called us not only just to be loved by him and to love him back, but to belong 
And we live in a day and age where that belonging in the church, that, that coming to a church, that weekly routine for us becomes sometimes more and more something that people choose. Well, maybe I'll go a couple times a month or I'll, I'll go every now and then or, or they'll say, I don't go to a church. I reject the institution of a church. I'm just going to love God. And I would tell you this, I think someday God's going to look at them and say, how could you say you love me but you hate my bride? How can you say that you love me, but you don't love my wife, my wife, the bride, the church, my family? I've called you to belong to my family, but you're living life after you made a decision. You rejected me. You walked away from belonging to me. Jesus wants us to belong to his family. In a church family, you and I learn and are taught who we are. It's our identity. In God's family, I learn my true identity. That's what happens. What happens when you go to church? What happens when you're in the body of Christ? You learn your true identity. Why did you buy the pair of jeans or the clothes that you are wearing today? Why did you buy those? You bought those. When you looked at them, some of you bought them for price. Majority of you bought them because of a brand. You said you like the style, but you also want a brand. We wear a lot of brands, right? Why do we wear brands? We've got cool brands that are maybe like surfing brands. You might like Ruka or Vans. Uh, some of you might go to Forever 21. Uh, there are some of you in here who are still wearing what you thought was cool when you were 21. <laughs> we might need to call it Forever 55. I don't know, right? We wear stuff with logos. Why? To belong. We think, well, that's cool because that's what golfers wear. That's what people I admire wear. Or I like the movement of this company. Or I like what they stand for. Or I just want to fit in with everybody else. We, we want to belong. And so we actually pay extra money for clothes just to have this sense of belonging. Why? Because the longing for belonging is universal. In reality, most of your identity doesn't come through uh, you know, little logos on our shirts. Most of your identity comes through relationships. It comes through relationships. You're a son or a daughter. You're a husband or a wife. You're a father or a mother. You're a grandfather or grandmother. Maybe you're a friend. Uh, maybe you are a teammate. And if your connections become bad or your connections of people become broken, your identity suffers right? Maybe you were married and you went through a divorce and all of a sudden what happens when you go through a divorce? Who am I? Because I was we and now I'm me. So what is, what is that? Maybe you had a spouse who passed away and, and the same thing. You go through this identity thing. I was we, but now, now what does it look like? What is it, where do I go? I'm now different. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you've been let go. Maybe you've been outright fired. And again, you say, well, who am I? It affects my identity. You say, who am I? Some of you in this room, maybe you grew up without a dad. And you feel like this father wound on the inside, like who's going to walk me into manhood or, or who's going to tell me that I'm beautiful? And you, you experience that. Some of you had family members, maybe a mom or dad, but maybe they gave you no attention. Maybe they didn't, didn't help you at all in any way. And, and you kind of learned growing up. You thought, well, I'm probably insignificant or I'm unimportant to my mom or my dad or I won't amount to anything. And these become triggers, just longing for us to say, I want to belong. I want to relate. Some of you, you grew up and you say, Dave, you don't understand. You say, my family was completely dysfunctional. Or my family is completely broken. Or my family was outright non-existent. And I want you to know that if that's you in your background, that God says there is good news. You want to know what the good news is? Paul says in Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God peoples and members of his household. How great is that, right? 
you're members of his household. This family right here, the body, is more important than that family. You say, what? Blood is thicker than water. No, this family is more important than that family. You want to know why? Because that family doesn't last forever. That family, there'll be people who pass away. There'll be people who die. Uh, there'll be time that we don't have that kind of family connection any longer. But God says his family, the church, lasts forever. In fact, for a lot of you, that family, that your family of origin, was a vehicle or a highway to get you to God's forever family. You might say, they hurt me, they rejected me, or maybe they were really good, but God somehow leveraged that experience as a desire for me to be a part of his forever family. One that doesn't perish or spoil or fade. One that is forever in relationship with God. None of those other things will last. See, people belong to things. They belong to, you know, political parties. They belong to, you know, uh, an ethnic group. They have a nationality. But again, none of those things are going to matter. None of those things are going to last. They're all going to pass away. But what matters most is your spiritual identity. Who does God say that you are? Who does he say you are if you're part of the body of Christ, if you belong to it? In Hebrews chapter 2, the author writes, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or sisters. Hold that verse up there for a moment. I want you to realize this verse. Look at this for a minute. Both the one who makes people holy. So here's God. God's the one who makes people holy. So the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Don't miss the mystery of that statement. Don't miss out that you say, how can this be that the very God who would make us holy would take the ones he made holy and bring them into his family? And then he says in that same verse, he says this, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Have you ever had a brother or sister that you've been ashamed of? You ever had a family member you've been ashamed of? Maybe it's crazy Uncle Larry. Maybe it's that... Someone's behavior has just driven everybody crazy. Maybe, maybe you look at them and you say, well, hey, I, you know, we're ashamed of them because of, and you fill in the blank. It had to do with some level of performance, some level of rejection, some level of hurt. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus, the one who makes people holy, is not ashamed to call you and me brothers and sisters. What a beautiful phrase. See, the difference between celebrate recovery and AA is this. That my sins are not my identity. See, Celebrate Recovery deals with recovery not just from chemical type addictions, but deals with codependency. It deals with relational hurts, habits, hang-up, grief, loss. Anything that any of us experience, hurts and habits and hang-ups, and it helps us recover in that. But one of the beautiful things about it, one of the things that sets it apart from other recovery type organizations, is that your sins are not your identity. So people are pursuing purity because sexual addiction will no longer be their identity. They will pursue a God who loves them and call them to be part of his forever family because they've got hurts and habits and hang-ups that are, are making them reach for other things. By belonging to God's family, you learn your true identity. You're not who you think you are. You're not who the world says you are. You're not what other people expect you to be. But God says you belong right here. In my family. See, gangs get tattoos. 
And they say, you give up your identity because you're now one of us. And you get a permanent marker, a tattoo, to say that you're part of such and such a gang. Well, the the identifying mark in the body of Christ, of belonging to the body of Christ, is baptism. That you believe, and then you're baptized. Those two things go right in hand in hand. So you believe on the one hand, then you show a public symbol that you're baptized, that you were dead and buried like Christ, like he was buried underground, and that you were raised a new life because of what Christ did on the cross, not because you did anything special. But while we were a mess, Christ died for us. While we were lost in our sins, Christ died for us. So we say, I associate with him through his death, his burial, his resurrection and I'm baptized. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, those who accepted, this would be Peter's preached message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So one of the great first sermons ever given following the ascension of Christ, over 3,000 people believed, and their first identifying marker was that they were baptized. Why? Because it was a symbol of belonging to the family of God. But not only does God talk about his body, the church, being a family, but he talks about you and I being a temple. The second metaphor is a temple. You have something that comes to your mind when I say temple, and what I want you to think of is really just a building, right? A building being built, something that's being built and expanded for the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That you are, like we've talked about before and Peter talks about, that we, Peter the apostle talks about, that you and I are like living stones. That when you and I come to Christ, he goes, that's a stone in my temple that I'm building. But I'm not building like stone stones. I'm building living stones. And they're going to go all throughout the world. And corporately all throughout the world, this is going to be my temple. It's going to be the people in whom I dwell and do and orchestrate my work on earth through them. God's going to be, they are my dwelling place. It is a living temple. So you are an organic living building part is what that really kind of looks like. And so when you and I leave here, we've talked, you're a walking worship service. You and I have the God of the universe is Holy Spirit on the inside and that we are being built together and going worldwide to bring hope to a lost and a hurting, hurting world. I mean, if, if you've ever watched a building go up, it's fascinating. Even when we bought this building, we were doing renovations in here. It's just fascinating if you've never been around the construction process. I grew up in high school doing construction uh, every summer, all the time, full time, and, and loved it. And one of the things about a construction project, if you've ever looked at one or you've looked through the windows or you've, you've walked on a foundation that's just cement and you've got pipes sticking up in different places and, and maybe the walls are just sticks, they're just the wood, right, or the steel going up to build that building, you, you walk on there, there's things that you'll notice when you walk on a building like that. And you'll notice that it's going to take thousands of parts to build one building. See, a building doesn't just come on a crane, like a big Lego block, and snap down onto the foundation. That's not what happens. I mean, there are thousands of parts, right, that are made to build a building. And the most important thing, you're going to say, every piece has got to fit together, or it's not going to work, right? You could have a massive steel beam, like the the whole span of this upper roof, you got these massive beams. You could take a massive steel beam, and if it's like one inch short, it's not going to support anything. It's huge, it's strong, but if it's an inch short, it's not going to work. It's got to fit together. You could have a steel pipe that is, you know, an inch too long. 
And you can't flex or bend that thing hard enough to get that thing to fit. It's not going to fit right. It needs to be the right fit. To be, to be strong and stable as a building, everything's got to connect. It's got to come together. You'll notice also if you look at a building being built that there are a lot of spare parts lying around. There are a lot of pieces in a building because they've got to have extra in case mistakes get made or whatever. And it just takes a lot of materials to do construction, right? So you've got a lot of spare parts laying in the building, but they're not yet part of the building. It would be like a piece of pipe that it could be sitting in the building, but it's really not part of the building. It's just a loose piece of pipe in the building. And that might be like some of you, that you're in the church but you're not yet fit and connected to the church. You're not yet a part of the church. You're in it, but you're not yet connected to the church. Why did God use a building, a temple, as an illustration of what the church is to be? Because in a building, the connected parts hold each other together. That's what God intended for us to do. Many times in life, you need other people to step into your life and help you and I hold it together, right? Don't you need that? Other people come alongside you when you and I are struggling. Other people come alongside you and love to help us be connected. So number two on your outline, in God's temple, I am supported by others. I'm supported by others. It's like a strong structure of a building. We support and we hold each other up. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21, Paul writes, In him, speaking of God, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which the Spirit of God lives by his Spirit. How cool is that? Again, we're like living stones that God's saying, you're important, you belong. In a building, a disconnected frame, if it has no support, the whole building will collapse, right? It might have a framework that looks good, but if they're not connected, given the right weather or the right circumstances, that building will absolutely collapse. You weren't meant to go through life without support. You weren't meant to go through life uh, being disconnected. You need spiritual, emotional, and physical support. You need to belong. God has called you to be loved. He's called you and I to belong. He calls you to belong to his church. Legos have one purpose. Legos have a purpose. It's written on their box a lot of times, and it says this. Here's their purpose. They are created for connection. That's what Legos are. And when you connect Legos together, you can make some really, really cool stuff. And they're great. But you know what? A Lego piece by itself or a pile of pieces that aren't connected, they just don't do anything. In fact, if anything they do, they just find your bare foot in the middle of the night when you're walking through the house. Right? Ah! All of a sudden, just, and then you, know, you curse that little piece of molded plastic. God wants you and I created for connection. He's called you and I to belong. Romans chapter 1 verse 12, Paul says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Don't you need encouragement in your life? I mean, we look at our life right now, we look at news, we look at all sorts of stuff, and it's discouraging. And you and I have got to unplug from some of that. And we've got to come to a point where we have people in our lives who mutually encourage one another in our faith when life is crazy. We need that. You'll drive miles. You'd get on a plane to fly somewhere and spend time with somebody who constantly encourages you. And you'll do whatever you can to avoid someone who is discouraging, 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 discouraging all the time in your life. You and I were created for connection. The greatest epidemic in our culture is loneliness. We are more connected than ever through technology 
but we are more disconnected in relationship with one another. We are all alone at times. Listen, this church, this church, Sun Grove Church, it is far from perfect, but it's full of people who are willing to help you navigate the crazy years. Right? We're not perfect, and if you are looking for the perfect church, this is not it. You have not yet found it. If you do find it, don't join it, because the moment you do, you will wreck it, because you're not perfect. You get in there and be like, oh, hey, this is awesome. I love it. I finally found the perfect church. And they'd be like, please, please don't. Please don't join. We really don't do it. This church isn't perfect. We're open to constructive criticism. We're always utilizing things as a lab because we want to improve and we want to grow. But what I know about this church and what I see time and again about our church, and I love our church, is that it is full of loving people willing to help one another navigate through the crazy years. And you and I need that. Isn't that good news? We talk about a unity covenant in the Discover class. We give our statement of faith, and on that statement of faith, those things are unshakable. Uh, unshakable. Those are the absolute essentials. Theologically, we adhere and hold to those. But even within theology, there are always a million other areas that are open for dialogue, open for discussion, but people grab a hold of those and make them the essentials, and they're not. And what I want to let you know is we say what a unity covenant is, is that we covenant to, together to we say that unity, loving one another, supporting one another, and being the church for the sake of the world is more important than a theological disagreement. And so we are going to covenant together for unity. It's actually stronger than membership. If you think about it, that we're covenanting together to keep the unity for the sake of the body, the temple, the family of Christ. The third metaphor of the church is a body. It's a body. We are all different parts, but we're all connected to complete each other and to function together as a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So let's talk about what do we do in a body. Well, in Christ's body, I discover my unique value. I discover my unique value value. you got to ask yourself, what makes you unique? Like, what do I have to bring to the table? What can I do to be a part of this body? Why would my being here bring value? Why would my gifts and my abilities, my talents, my personality, my spiritual gift, all these things, why would those be woven together specifically to bless a body, to be a part of it, to strengthen and encourage one another? How does that work? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we have a lot of parts, but we are one body. Think about your body. Your body has tons of parts. Some of them you think about, some of them are very noble parts. You think, like, I can use my hand. And some of you actually elevate which hand is, is better. You're like, you know, yeah. Ask me to throw with my right hand, not my left, for some of you. Some of you are like, I'm, very, I'm left-handed, and, and don't ask me to do the opposite, right? Because you elevate parts of your body. But the truth is, all the parts of your body are necessary. When they start to go wrong, you suddenly realize how necessary they are, right? I'm going to give you five truths. The body is many parts. They're all different and unique, and God designed us, even as a church, that way. Everybody's needed to make the body complete. If a piece is missing, it's not a complete body. So we need you. Well, how? 
How do you contribute to be the part of the body that God created you to be? Well, the part of the body he created you to be is that you each have a work to do. We've got roles. We've got ministries we're involved in. We've got gifts that we use. And it's a beautiful thing to watch all the parts of the body working together. If all the parts of the body did the same thing, we would be an ineffective church. What if we were all feet? Man, the feet of Jesus would run all over the world, but once they got there, they couldn't do anything. Right? We don't all need to be feet. We need to be our specific piece. God, how have you uniquely created me to be a part of your church body? We need each other. What good is an eyeball if it's detached from the body? That eyeball on itself doesn't do any good. It's got to be attached. Write this down somewhere in your outline. It's not on the screen, so you're going to have to listen and write it down. Write this down. I cannot fulfill God's purpose for my life by myself. I cannot fulfill God's purpose for my life by myself. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Well, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. The ear, the eye, all these other parts of the body are still parts of the body. So don't confuse prominence with significance. And I want you to understand that. We often think, well, I can't do that because I'm not like, and you look at a different part of the body. You look, that person looks like they do something public, or that person has really strong gifts in that area, and you go, that's not me. Well, that's good because you're not that part of the body. You're your part of the body. And you need to do what God has created and crafted and shaped you to do. Don't confuse prominence with significance, right? How significant to your body is your appendix? You might not even know what the appendix does, but it sits there in your body and you don't ever notice it until it becomes affected. Then it could blow up and kill you, right? Now, it's a significant part of the body, but you don't notice it until it becomes infected. And, and what happens when a person in the church becomes infected? Typically, if they become infected, then they gossip or they start to cause division or they, they start to make the church about them instead of about the body, about their preferences, about they, the way they think things should run, about how they think things should happen. And so what happens is that gets infected, right? The scripture says in Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He's saying, listen, stop being false. Stop presenting false evidence that appears real, because that causes fear, Right? The acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. We all react to it, right? We react emotionally to it. What? I can't believe that happened. And suddenly you're caught in a gossip trail, right? I, no way. How did that happen? You begin to get caught in these things. Gossip affects an entire church. And so Paul says, listen, the way that we are healthy as a body, the way we don't become like an infected body part, is we speak truthfully to one another. You speak truthfully, and some people always that, you know, ask, well, I, I, I have something to share, but I don't want it to be gossip, but they're not sure if it's gossip. Let me tell you how you know if it's gossip, okay? If you're not part of the problem, so you're like you're not the problem, and you're not part of the solution, like you're not in a position or ability or whatever to be part of the solution, then it's gossip. If you're not the problem, and you're not part of the solution, then any other talk about that is gossip. God's saying, use your gift, use your ability, be the part of the body that he's called you to be so that you speak truthfully, honestly to one another. He says, the church is a family. The church is 
a temple. The church is a body. And then he says the fourth metaphor of the church is a flock. A flock. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We, corporately, all of us, are the sheep of his pasture. I'm going to just jump down here for a minute. Because I'm just using my gift, but I'm part of this body. We are the sheep of his pasture. But why does God say like a flock? Like if you drive up I-5 right now, you'll notice all sorts of things. You'll notice that there are all sorts of birds flying north, and they need each other, and they flock together. And God uses that picture for the church. He says, you and I, we are like a flock. That we need to be together. In God's flock, you and I are protected and cared for. There is one good shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd. We corporately together, we all follow him. And we are part of his flock. He uses that beautiful picture. I'm protected. I'm cared for. I'm not my own. I have others looking out for me. I enjoy safety and security. This makes me, being a part of a flock, it makes me more confident. It makes me less anxious. Why? You need this. You need this when you're getting beat up in the business world. You need other people around you to support and love and encourage you. You need this when your family or marriage is being strained and feels at the breaking point. You need other people around you. You need this when you're facing a personal crisis, whether it's of your own making or something else. You need this. You need people who will step up to bat for you. Don't you? Isn't that good news sometimes when somebody comes along and they say, you know, I will step up to bat for you. You're in trouble. You're in need. You are being attacked. Whatever it is, but they'll step up and say, no, I'll, I will bat for you. That when a person is struggling in the depths of their doubts, that a friend comes along and says, it's okay, pursue those doubts, but you can rest on my faith until you get those doubts answered and then come back because you're part of this flock. But we will walk with you through the valley of doubt. And sometimes doubt can make your faith stronger. But we get all afraid about it, right? No, we need people who will go to bat for us when we're in crisis. People who will walk into your life when everybody else walks out. God has placed in church two different functions of people and two different kinds of people who watch out for your life. And this is what they are. Number one, my pastors look out for me. God's admonition in 1 Peter 5, 2, the second half of the verse says to me, be shepherds of God's flock which is under your care watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Again, I take that very seriously. And then Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Again, that there's this mutuality that God has called the shepherd to love and care for and provide for the sheep. At the same time that God has said to the sheep, listen to the leader of your flock, not as the good shepherd, but as the under shepherd of the good shepherd. Because they've been called to that position and called to give an account on how they operate that position. I take this very seriously. But God has given you first pastors to look out for you and the pastors of this church will do that. We will. We'll walk with you. Through the valleys of life, we'll walk with you in your times of need. Second, my circle looks out for me. My circle looks out for me. You say, what's a circle? It's a group. 
a group in the church that you get together with and study God's word, that you get together with and support one another. 58 times in scripture the phrase one another is used in regard to the community and the body of Christ. Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's or each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's part of the role of being part of the flock is that we carry each other's burdens. That sometimes you're going to carry mine and other times I'm going to carry yours. And we're going to do that. And the best place that that happens is in a circle that you get together in a group during the week. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, at, just as in fact you were already doing. The question is, who's looking out for you? Are you in a circle where you can be supported? Will you watch this video? I'm a stay-at-home mom, and my husband is deployed, and he also works at Macy's when he's not deployed. I found Sun Grove um, after moving here. We were fresh to um, Elk Grove, and um, I was just kind of, I had accepted Jesus about a year before, and I just kind of went church shopping, and um, I found it here. And I remember Heather came up to me, and she invited me to a women's group the first week that I was here, and I just really liked the people. So I ended up staying here, and it's always been my church home since. When we moved to Elk Grove, um, it was me and my husband and our toddler, and I had a baby in my belly, and um, he was going to deploy about two weeks after we moved here, so I was going to be like completely alone. I knew he was going to be in a lot of danger, and I was just thinking, how am I going to cope with this, and I need a relationship with God. And I don't think that I had the relationship with God that I wanted. My, um, my faith was kind of shallow. It was like a me and, me and God only. And I prayed sometimes when I needed something. Um, so that was kind of my relationship with God. And um, so after he left, um, I was just really devastated. And I thought that I could do everything on my own. Um, but I, I don't think I, could. I really could. Um, so I joined a, a small group, and uh, the women there were just amazing. They, it was more than a one-on-one -on -one with God. With them, it was living the way, uh, how do I say this? Um, they, they were living out the way that God wants you to live and um, showing God in their everyday life. and. Um, it's more than praying when you need something, it's praying for each other. And they just really inspired me. Um, so I kind of opened up more and um, I had my baby and one of the people from Sun Grove was there. Um, after having my baby, I was in the yard three times um, for different things, um, a serious health problems, and I had nobody, like who, who was I gonna call, right? And so, I remember they were sitting by my bedside and they would pray for me and I was kind of seeing God is in real life, it's not just at night when I pray to Him. So um, I remember one of them giving me a book and it was um, God's Promises for Your Life and it just named a bunch of verses and um, I was just so upset because I was, I was going to go into surgery and what was I going to do with my kids and this was like real life and I needed God in that moment. and. Um, here were these women and they brought God to me. So they really changed my relationship, my faith, and just seeing how amazing these people were, it just lifted me up and made me want to be that to somebody else. 
Well, you took care of my kids. Um, I called one of them in the middle of the night about 1 a.m. and I was like, look, I, um, I actually um, fainted and I broke my jaw. And um, I was like, my, my jaw hurts. I don't really know what happened. Um, I have my kids here. Like, what do I do? And she got a bunch of women together and they all watched my kids while I was in the hospital for, you know, like a day. And people just kept streaming in who, uh, some of them I didn't even know, but they prayed with me and they were so kind to me. And I will never forget it. It's awesome, isn't it? Hey, let's give it up real quick for military spouses. Yeah. But how cool when your circle comes around you. I mean, here's, here's Morgan, and she, you know, she faints, and she breaks her jaw. And she's like, I'm a mom of like a newborn and a toddler, and who do I call? And she had a circle around her, and those ladies stepped up. Great job. Such a beautiful example of being the church that you have other people who will bat for you when you can't even do that for yourselves. And that's a beautiful picture of the church. It's so an amazing thing. And uh, by the way, uh, the day after Morgan filmed this video, her husband just came back from deployment the next day. So they're here today. Give it up for them. So glad to have them in the house. God gives us another reason to belong. A fifth metaphor for the church is that it's a garden. It's a vineyard. It's a garden or a vineyard. That's an organic metaphor, uh, but it shows how we grow and become fruitful. Like fruitful is how do we produce results? How do I grow? And then because I've grown, how do I do something with my life? How do I pursue my calling? How do I live out my calling? How do I understand my purpose in life and actually live it out? God gives us the picture of a church as one that's bearing fruit. John 15 verse 1 says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen, both are cutting. God will cut off the parts in us that do nothing, that bear no fruit. He'll chop that off. And as we walk and as we walk with the Lord in relationship over years and years and years, God's going to cut off our pride. He's going to trim back the parts of us that are useless. He's going to take what is self-serving and get rid of that. And he's going to take us to the point and help us become people created in the image of God who now walk to be more and more like Jesus. It feels like cutting sometimes, but it's for our good. It makes us more fruitful. He's saying some of the people, if you've been a part of it, but you've never been connected to it, God will cut you off. And the chances are you'll kind of just cut yourself off. You'll be like the wildebeest that leaves the herd and wanders out into the Serengeti on its own thinking, I'm fine. And, and every lion in the neighborhood is really happy at that moment, right? And sometimes that happens. We get upset with somebody. We get upset with the church. Some of you are here because you were upset at some other church. But you're here because you wandered away, not just from that church, but you went wandering for a while and you didn't have community, you didn't have a body, you didn't have a garden, and God brought you here because you realize I'm disconnected. I need to be in a place. And God says, listen, that former church, it didn't hurt you, people hurt you. But God's church is a holy thing, it's a vineyard. When you and I are connected to it, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus says this in John 15 verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's his point? In God's garden, my life becomes more productive. I'm able to make the contribution that God intends for me to make with my life. 
Here's this environment in which God says, I'm able to make that contribution that God intends for you and I to make with our lives. A disconnected branch, though, can't bear fruit. But connected, you get this life-giving energy with the Father. You get this life-giving energy that flows through you and then flows out of you. And I want to say something to the teenagers who are here in the room and the young people. Maybe you're a kid or you're a teenager, and I wanted to say, I'm so proud of how God leverages you and your gifts at the church. I want to say that you are incredibly valuable, that serving in the church is not something you do when you become an adult, but it's who you are. You are the church right now, and that you, I'm so proud of so many of you who are serving like children or in guest services or in other areas around the church. You're using your gifting, your calling to serve in the church, and the church belongs to you right now as you belong to the church. We have over 40 ministries and hundreds of ways to be able to serve in the church, and you're doing that. It's a beautiful thing to see. But let me ask, if you find yourself being disconnected, let me ask you just one question. Why should you remain disconnected when a church family like this has so much to offer you? To be people who bat for you, who get connected to you, and, and, and we'll use, and the enemy will use this idea of busyness. Oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it. I'm too busy. And the thing is, you're too busy being disconnected, and you're not receiving any of the benefits of being connected. You are busy and pursuing connection with what cannot connect you. But God says, come to my body, come to the church, and we will connect you. Listen, many of you live long distances from family and maybe some of your friends. Some of you are single adults. Many of you are in an unsupportive family or marriage, and you need a place to be supported. You need a place to be connected to. You need a place to be invested in. And God has created his church to be that. Listen, we will be that family for you. We would love it. We will be your family. Maybe all your life you've been trying to belong. As you think back through your life, you're like, you know, I just never felt like I actually belonged anywhere I tried with anything I reached to. And you may say, like, I don't know if I could belong. I just don't ever feel like I've belonged anywhere. Well, regardless, you are wanted here. You belong here. That God has called you to be a part of his forever family. And he's uniquely designed you to live your purpose, and he wants you to discover your purpose. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you get baptized. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first result of that is that you are baptized. So you get baptized, and then you get connected to a circle, to a group that meets during the week in somebody's home, or maybe it's at your workplace or other places, but you get connected with other people because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The church is the only thing on the world that will actually last Ephesians 3.21, Paul says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So through all generations, forever and ever, the church is going to be in relationship, is going to belong to Jesus Christ, and we want to live within that example. Just real quick with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today you're realizing, I have believed in Jesus I have asked him to come into my heart. But lately I've been disconnected. I haven't connected to other believers. I've been living life pretty independently. I've been busy. And maybe right now the Spirit of God is just simply drawing you into relationship with his body. Some of those other things can't satisfy. And, and maybe God's Spirit right now is just speaking to you as a believer. Will you listen to what he says? And will you say, God, Help me to give myself fully to you. Your ways, your body, your bride, 
your church. But there's some of you in this room, you're realizing I've never given my life to Christ. I've never realized that what he did on the cross by dying on the cross, that he took all my sin upon himself, and that he conquered God's righteous wrath against sin. He satisfied it. He paid for it in full. And then he offers you eternal life. He offers you the chance to belong. He offers you a new identity. He offers you the chance to have your sins forgiven and then washed away. And maybe today for the first time you're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need to give my life to you. God doesn't demand it from you. God says with his arms open wide on the cross, I'm offering forgiveness to you. Will you receive relationship with me? And if that's you today, would you just pray a prayer right where you're seated? Just silently, God hears your heart. He knows you. He crafted you. He formed you. But just say in your heart after me something like this. Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you were buried in the grave. That you rose to new life because you were God. And I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.